What are the final things we got to discuss before starting to get a look at SMU? Man, the ESPN matchup predictor, the computers, they're getting crazy out there. We got a whole lot to talk about on tonight's episode of Locked On Sooners Live. Thank you for joining us. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooner Nation? Welcome to Locked On Sooners. Today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on college or enter promo code locked on college for a free water bottle with any purchase. You don't want to take off your bird dogs. We promise you. Thank you for joining us. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. My buddy here is Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at Josh on Ref. You can also hear him Monday through Friday on the KREF Sports app from 9 to noon. Good stuff there all day long on the Ref. Josh, what are the final things that we kind of have to touch on with the Arkansas state game? We went through a lot on our Monday episode. Uh, if you listened to it, if you watched it, we talked through a lot of the, our biggest takeaways, but I'm sure there are a few things that we probably left out. Yeah. Well, let's just, I guess, run the uh, gauntlet again, then shall we? I think it starts here. Oklahoma offensively, really defensively too, just across the board did what it was supposed to do, right? I mean, hey, Arkansas State is the name that was on the schedule. That's mm-hmm. the team that was coming to Norman. And so at that point, all you can do is the best you can do versus Arkansas State. And Oklahoma did that and and then doubled it, right? I mean, so if we're talking strictly the numbers against the, the spreads, what the odds makers had out there, okay, it's a five-touchdown deal. Oklahoma wins by double that margin. So Oklahoma went out, John, and – offensively defensively answered the call they they were sensational it looked like a team that was ticked off and hungry to prove okay year two in brent venables not going to be like year one and i think that's something brent venables even mentioned kind of leading up to the game and even after the game is that they they played with a little bit of a fire they had a chip on their shoulder they feel like they've got a lot to prove and i and i don't think that stops with arkansas state by no means are they a finished product and by no means have they reached kind of the goal right no, they, they are going to carry that chip throughout the season because even after this win, what's kind of the national kind of commentary is like, oh, it's just Arkansas State. Well, yeah, it was just Arkansas State. There are going to be tougher tests ahead, but it's a good start on what could be a potentially special season if things continue to trend that direction. Man, the offense was great. It was surgical. It was, to me, it was flawless, like, you know, could the running game have been a little bit better? Absolutely. But as has been mentioned, I don't know if we talked about it yesterday or not, but this was kind of like the first opportunity for these five offensive linemen to play together in a actual game. You didn't have Walter Rouse in the spring game. And the fact that you were able to run for 220 yards after your offensive, your first team offensive line went out. That's a pretty good sign that there's a lot of really good pieces on the offensive line and it's going to continue to get better. I think we've seen this play out in Bill Biedenboe's tenure, right? Maybe they start off a little bit slow at times running the football. I, I think I remember this back in the 2020 season even where it seemed like, okay, things were a little bit sluggish getting out of the gate, running the football. But then, I don't know, three, four games into the season, they really picked up and man, they were running like crazy all over everybody. So I, I'm, I'm optimistic that that's going to continue to kind of go on a positive trajectory I mean, I really have zero complaints about what the offense did. And really, I don't have any complaints about anything that happened on Saturday. You got a big win, got a shutout. Even though, even if that guy would have made those field goal kicks, okay, you still held a team to six points after giving up big plays that got them into field goal position. You kind of stymie them at that point. So they responded well after giving up a big play, which I think is a great sign for the mentality of the defense. It's like, okay, we're not letting the floodgates open. Okay, big play, you're done. That's all you get. We're going to shut it down now. Obviously, the, the challenge, it's a little bit difficult, more difficult when you go play SMU or you host SMU this next Saturday. But again, positives all across the board for the Sooners. Yeah, 73-6 wouldn't be all that bad uh, no. either. You know, I don't know, uh, without seeing all the margins of victory in front of me, I don't know if that would still have qualified for what? The uh, largest season opening margin of victory uh, in 106 years. 
since, of course, the, the game that I think all of us have spent a lot of time talking about, that 99 to nothing uh, blanking of Central Oklahoma in 1917 that we're all fond and familiar with. Yeah. But, uh, you know, okay, so if you, if you had given up the couple of field goals, it was still a dominant offensive day, still a dominant defensive day. And, and lo and behold, guess what? They didn't make the field goals. It winds up being a shutout for Oklahoma. The, uh, the run game, yeah, there could have been a little bit more of the chunk variety, John. But, uh, you know, I think that'll that'll be something we're watching this week versus SMU. That'll be something that we're watching versus Tulsa. Okay, does Oklahoma go out there and rip off on a more frequent basis a nine-yard run, a 12-yard run, a 15, and, and, you know, those big electrifying runs here and there? We didn't really see a ton of that uh, or much of that at all from Oklahoma. And yet I would come away from this past weekend, John, and say that I thought Marcus Major – Ran it for the most part well. I thought Javante Barnes, if uh, if he was somebody that I was supposed to be worried about his health, well, the Baker's dozen carries that he got, <laughs> Javante Barnes looked pretty good to me. Tawi Walker, I thought, looked nice. And then, uh, obviously, uh, Smothers and, and Hicks did some good things, too. So, if the running game offensively is what we're concerned about, okay, well, the backs themselves, I like what we saw there. Yeah, it's it's a start, right? especially as you're breaking in new starters, you're breaking in a new rotation, you're going deep into the well. You know, it can be a little bit tricky at times if you've got a running back rotation that you've got like that for guys to kind of get a little bit of momentum going, build up some confidence in a game. Well, still, they ran for 220 yards. I mean, if you even if you take away Jackson Arnold's rushing day and Dylan Gabriel's runs, they still ran for like a buck 80. So it was still a good rushing day for the Sooners all in all uh, defensively. I mean, I feel like the physicality was there and again, it's easy to be physical and easy to play with a lot of confidence when you're playing a team that, you know, you're better than, but you still got to go out there and do it. And you still got to go out there and execute being able to shut them down on third down. I think that was key. I mean, that's the thing that we all want to see, right? How many times do we see third and longs be given up last year in the Alex Grinch era? it became commonplace where you didn't even bank on them getting off the field on a third and long. If it was third and long, you're like, okay, who's going to give up the play this time? Well, that wasn't the case. I mean, did they pick up a couple third downs? Yeah, they did. But all in all, you shut them down and you forced them to punt and play your game, which was absolutely phenomenal. It's again, a step in the right direction. You know, one thing we didn't really mention is just the fact that Oklahoma scored on its first 10 possessions of the game. I mean, that alone is pretty amazing. And oh, by the way, that doesn't uh, include the punt return touchdown. So if you want to call that its own little mini possession, John, then okay, that's 11 possessions, which I think that was uh, what Brent Venables in the post-game press conference was saying is, hey, we scored on 11 straight possessions, which technically it, it was 10 if you look at the the stat book, the official stat book, but Hey, uh, let's go ahead and toss the punt return touchdown into that mix as well. Bottom line is Oklahoma again, as an illustration of its efficient efficiency, John, I mean, that's crazy to, to score on your first 10 possessions is really, really impressive. It really is impressive. I, and I get that you want to kind of hedge a little bit and, and fans want to be like, well, it was just Arkansas state and they want to just, you know, see more out of this team. And I want to see more. I do. I want to see them continue to build on what they've laid as a foundation for this program in 2023 and continue to improve in some of the areas that, that they've struggled in. But it's great, man. It's a great start. You can't ask for anything more. 73 to nothing. You get a shutout. You play everybody. I mean, you went four deep on both sides of the football. I don't know. I mean, there are guys that didn't get to play but they're few and far between the fact that you were able to empty the bench as much as you did and get guys on the field. I think that that alone right there helps to reinforce buy-in that it's like, okay, if everybody busts their tail and we're able to get up big in games, you're going to get an opportunity and that's going to be huge, man. As they continue to build depth and, and rely on that competitive depth, it's good to get these snaps in the game. We got so much to talk about on tonight's show. We got the ESPN matchup predictor, just throwing things all out of whack. We got the big 12 and a lot of this, like I think a lot of the confidence that Oklahoma fans are feeling right now is based on what happened over the weekend in big 12 play. And man, there's so much to touch on on that. Plus we got some recruiting nuggets to, to get into later on in the show. We got some big time decisions coming up uh, this week, actually. So we'll talk about that. 
First, let me talk to you about our friends over at Bird Dogs. If you've not tried Bird Dogs, man, they are fantastic. They're comfortable. They feel great. They make you look great as well. You got the stretch knit cotton that gives you the form fit that makes your legs look good, makes them thighs look good, that butt look good. And you're not sacrificing flexibility or comfort along the way. They, they, they're great. The summer heat that we've just been dealing with, I've been wearing my bird dogs just about every single day. And you know what? They're fantastic from the golf course to the creek, to the pool, to the lake, around town, hitting up Walmart, whatever you want to do, bird dogs are a perfect short for that. So go to birddogs.com slash locked on college and you can get a free tumbler with every purchase. Again, at birddogs.com slash locked on college. Bird dogs, you won't want to take them off. So every week during the season, Josh, I put together, or at least I look at ESPN's matchup predictor and go game by game to see, okay, how did the win probabilities shake out after that week of college football? I do it from week one all the way through the right end of the season. And, you know, last year, Oklahoma was favored in every single game in the preseason. Obviously, it didn't turn out that way. This year, they were favored and the win probability suggested Oklahoma would win every single game this season in the preseason, except for one, the Texas game. However, after one week of action, the SPN matchup predictor and the simulations, thousands of simulations that they run to come up with these numbers flipped the script already on the Texas Longhorns, jumping Oklahoma's win probability from 37.2% in the preseason to now Oklahoma is favored to win that game or projected to win that game at 58.9% in the win probability. It's just one week and Texas looked terrible against rice. Are we ready to be able to say like, yep, Oklahoma for sure should be the favorite against Texas. No, I'm not ready to, uh, to get with that just yet. I'm not ready to say they're the underdog versus Texas either. I wasn't ready right. to, to, to do any of that in the off season. So I just, it's, it's too, they're on paper and in my mind too close for me to make a definite judgment on right now. Uh, I, you know, forced to choose, I think I would pick Oklahoma and that's a belief in Brent Venables and defensively the strides that they've made. That's looking at what Dylan Gabriel did, the command that he had of this Oklahoma offense. And the fact that I just don't buy the Texas can live up to a season where it's got that type of hype on it. So Texas, you got to show me that you can go win a big 12 championship when you're expected to go win a big 12 championship. Hey, you know, let alone, you got to show me you can win a big 12 championship. You haven't done it since 2009. So why the heck would I be picking Texas to go do that? I, I was never fully on board in that camp throughout the off season, but do I feel after week one because of what Oklahoma did versus Arkansas State that lock it up, throw away the key that OU's the favorite over Texas? No, I still think they're pretty evenly matched. Then again, let's talk after Alabama maybe puts a whooping on the horns. And a lot of this comes down to Quinn Ewers just not looking like he's really taking that next step in his accuracy and his production and things like that it almost feels similar in a way to the 2021 season for the Oklahoma Sooners, where it's like Oklahoma came in with a ton of buzz, a ton of hype, you know, Spencer Rattler's second year as a starter, everybody's projecting Oklahoma to go to the college football playoff and it just fizzles out. Right. It almost has that same feel to it. Just where, okay. Yeah. Quinn Ewers second year as a starter, a lot of hype behind him, a lot of buzz behind him, a lot of talent. I mean, the dude's already being projected to be a first round pick in the NFL draft after not really doing much in his first year as a starter because of all the talent that he possesses based on what you see. It just hasn't shown up on the football field consistently. And so I just kind of get this vibe that it's very similar to that 2021 season. Now it could play out completely different. They could go into Tuscaloosa and just and beat Bama and make us all look foolish, but I don't think that's going to happen. And man, I just don't know if the chemistry is right in Austin right now for this all to really come together for them to make it a big 12 title run and a college football champ, you know, playoff run as well. Well, we're going to find out a ton this week, right? We think uh, then again, you know, obviously Alabama is going through a situation where you got to do quarterback and it's almost 
blasphemy to even suggest that maybe Alabama could be down a little bit, but you know, you we are, look good. Indeed. Indeed. So we're, but on both sides, we're going to find out a lot, uh, a lot this week. So, and, and I choose to, yes, exist in the orbit and the universe where probably nine times out of 10, if not a uh, 12 times out of 10, Alabama is playing in a college football playoff and right. to, to think or assume differently is just uh, malpractice, but Hey, Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens this week against really the standard bear in college football for the last 15 years, even after Georgia's, of course, won the, the past two national championships. Yeah, and I think it's going to be a – I mean, obviously, it's going to be a really, really fun game for the Sooners because, or for anybody watching, Oklahoma fans, Texas, Bama, everybody's going to be tuned in to, to that one. And, you know, a little selfishly, we kind of hope to see a little, little burnt orange tears uh, on the timeline on that day and, and maybe even big. Like I said, Jalen Milrow, he looked really, really good. The dude is going to be a lightning bolt out there. Uh, one of my favorite photos from the weekend was just him and, and Nick Saban just sharing a handshake on the sideline after a touchdown. It was just good, good stuff. Just good, wholesome content uh, from one of the photographers out there. Uh, Big 12, man, what a weekend it was because I think there's been so much said about the Big 12 and maybe because we're kind of locked in and we're tuned in to what's going on around the Big 12 all off season. You know, there've been high expectations for a lot of teams. TCU, everybody thought that TCU would hang right there even after, you know, losing Max Duggan and Quentin Johnson and Kendra Miller. They lose to Colorado, which that's a whole discussion in and of itself, but they they lay an egg a little bit. Defensively in particular, they gave up 500 passing yards to Shadur Sanders. You look at Baylor, they get beat by Texas State. G.J. Kinney, a, a good coach, an up-and-comer, somebody who's on the rise, and Dave Aranda's team just kind of fell flat. Now, Blake Shapin was dealing with a bit of an injury in the second half of that game, but they didn't have an answer uh, for no Blake Shapin, and, and things were just kind of okay when Shapin was in there at quarterback. Uh, and then you see Texas Tech go up to Wyoming and get beat by what's been kind of an average you know, a group of five team, not a team that's winning 10, 11 games at the group of five level. No, they're kind of a seven win, eight win, nine win team. So, yeah, it was just kind of an underwhelming weekend for those teams. But also it begs the question, like, does that make you feel more confident about Oklahoma's chances to, to win the Big 12 walking out the door? Heck, yeah, it makes me feel more confident. Are you kidding me? After what we saw to uh, open this season? Absolutely. Texas. uh I'm not going to get too out over my skis with Texas isn't what we thought Texas was going to be. I, I saw a lot of people wanting to slam dunk on the horns for a bad start versus Rice, but we've we've seen where slow starts, fast starts aren't always indicative one way or the other. I will, however, if you don't get it done and you lose a football game and you don't even put up, you know, five scores, you know, I'm looking at uh, the, you know, BYU's and Houston's of the world in, in that regard where, man, it, it really was offensively a struggle for those two. And obviously for, for Baylor, for Texas Tech, for these schools that we thought were going to be halfway decent in this conference race, John, for them to outright lose. Yeah. I, I'm saying that the big 12 it's worse than we thought. And we didn't think very highly of it to begin with going in for Oklahoma. So yeah, all of those factors at play, and uh, we're going to find out again about the big one, which is Texas, because everybody wants you and I and the world to believe that this is Texas's conference to lose in 2023. We're going to find out if Texas is as good as we thought they were going into this season. I think, uh, you know, this coming weekend, obviously, versus Alabama. And the answer might be there, too, that the horns you toss the horns down too, that they're not as good as everybody thought they were going to be. So absolutely the path for Oklahoma. It's uh, <laughs> it's been gettable, John. And even more so now, it looks like there's less competition. Now, keep in mind, Baylor, Texas Tech, not on Oklahoma's schedule. So maybe we're looking more in the direction of what happened in Provo, right? I mean, maybe that's more what we're looking at as, okay, well, that's not as challenging of a road trip anymore. No, it, it didn't look – I mean, come on, Sam Houston State, it, that is not a football powerhouse. If you've ever been down to – Man, Huntsville, that's where they play. They're from Huntsville, Texas. Have you ever been down to Huntsville? There's not a whole lot going on there. It's it's like a less developed Lubbock. Uh, sorry to all the Huntsville listeners out there, but it. I played a lacrosse game there one time, and they had us playing on a field 
surrounded by like these concrete bleachers going around it. I just thought what kind of ancient Roman esque uh, football field or lacrosse field are we playing on down here in, uh, in Huntsville, uh, Texas. But anyway, yeah, to, to only score 14 points on Sam Houston state, that does not give me a whole lot of optimism or at least confidence that BYU is going to be a team that most teams will struggle with. It, it didn't. Now on the flip side of that, you look at what Cincinnati did. You look at what UCF did and you kind of think, okay, maybe they're going to be bigger challenges than what we might've thought to begin with. I mean, Emory Jones, man, he had himself a freaking day, uh, 345 yards passing five touchdowns. He also ran for 26 yards and two touchdowns. So seven total touchdowns from Emory Jones in a big win over again, Eastern Kentucky. But again, they, they scored 66 points in the game, only gave up 13. And then you look at what UCF did to Kent state, a 56 to six win. Uh, for the Knights in again, two teams that are, are making the jump to the power five. They look power five ready with the way that their offense is played in week one. We'll see if it continues to translate uh, as the challenges get tougher for them, but maybe those, those games look a little bit tougher now on the schedule after week one than maybe what they did a week ago. But again, going back to that ESPN matchup predictor, Oklahoma gained probability points in every matchup the rest of the season they're predicted to go undefeated john i mean uh, the matchup predictor likes oklahoma to win every single game and in a lot of these cases decidedly yeah and then the espn football power index bumped oklahoma up from like 15 to number four after one week right i mean basically the which the matchup predictor is fueled by the Mm -hmm. football power index and you know, basically what the football power index is saying, John, is I'm going to take that for what it's worth. It's saying Oklahoma's going to the college football playoff, which, you know, playoffs, if Oklahoma goes 12 and 0, they're, you know, going to the Big 12 championship game. And if they win that, then yeah, they're, they're going to the college football playoff. It's Oklahoma, right? I think there's a probably a scenario out there where Oklahoma's one loss and until proven otherwise is going to the college football playoff with one loss because, eh, Oklahoma. But that being yeah. said, I mean, basically right now, one weekend and all we have is the Arkansas state data and everybody else's data to go off of. And ESPN FBI says, yeah, Oklahoma is one of the top four teams in the country. Crazy. Yeah, it's absolutely wild. And again, they ca- they have to continue to prove it on the field. And I know that that's the message Brent Venables is giving his team every single meeting, practice, passing it down to the coaching staff. We got to continue to prove it. Nobody's going to hand them anything. SMU's not going to give them anything. They're going to come and try and upset Oklahoma with a high-powered offense with guys that have a lot of skill. They're going to try and knock off the Sooners and upset what could be a potentially special run this season. They're not going to let the foot off the gas at all, I don't think, after this. I think with what happened a year ago, especially the guys that are still here that experienced what happened a year ago, they're by no means going to – get ahead of themselves, get full, too full of confidence. They're going to continue to put the, you know, put the pedal down. You know, I I hate to use the all gas, but they're going to, they're going to go full steam ahead. I mean, the engine is going to go full steam ahead. They're not slowing it down for anybody. So let's, uh, let's cycle back around and continue to talk some takeaways. And then let's just rifle through a bunch of your guys' comments and questions out there. By the way, happy Labor Day. To everybody, hope everybody's had a nice uh, Labor Day. But uh, yeah, let's let's talk a little wide receivers, John, because I think that there's more to talk about there that maybe we haven't talked all the way through just yet. First, though, let me tell you, tonight's episode brought to us by FanDuel Sportsbook because it's time to get in the season, folks. NFL season, it's here. Come Thursday, believe it or not, yes, the National. Football League, it's back. Get ready with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. That's because right now, new customers bet $5 and you get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket. That's a bargain. That's a bargain from YouTube and YouTube TV. $100 off NFL Sunday ticket again when you bet $5. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season in style with an offer you won't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the National Football 
league. Okay, so it's a fumble. He's coughed it up, and we are rumbling, bubbling, stumbling, baby. Are we upset city over here with Duke over Clemson right now? Bro, it's looking like it, and it's making me look silly because I've I've always I've been higher on Clemson than the national polls simply because of Dabo and Kate Klubnick and but DJ Uyo. I'm so Ooh, out I'm of practice. Lay. Thank you. I'm so out of practice saying his name that I screwed it up and I apologize. He looked great for Oregon State uh, on Sunday, so that that's going to be a fascinating team to watch in the Pac-12 as well. Uh, several questions. First one I, that really jumped off for me, Josh, is this one from PSS. He has asks, has OU's culture changed? I.e., when mid-tier teams show up with their best game against the Sooners. Will OU act dumbstruck and struggle, or will they bring the hammer down? Great question, and I think it's one that Oklahoma fans have been asking for a long time or, or griping about for a long time. This is why I've sort of had this, this take, John, that in – oh, by the way, week one did not uh, reinforce this position, by the way – that uh, Dylan Gabriel, it's not the worst thing that he's not a Heisman Trophy contender because in week one, if he plays like that all season, okay, well, he might have a chance to go to uh, to New York City. But to me, it was, okay, it's not the worst thing that you don't have this transcendent talent right here, right now at quarterback as you're trying to kind of reconfigure the foundation of what Oklahoma football is. I like the idea that for so many years, OU was able to just get bailed out by Kyler Murray, by Baker Mayfield before him, uh, you know, obviously by Jalen Hurts. They got bailed out by great quarterback play. Caleb Williams, uh, you know, obviously at the Cotton Bowl a couple of years ago. It's not the worst thing for Oklahoma to have to relearn this idea that, you know what, yeah, it is important to play complimentary football. And let's not, let's not mess around week to week with Kansas, with, you know, and we could go on down the list, any number of Big 12 teams that we've seen Oklahoma just – kind of you know slip and slide through the motions against and yet they do over the course of you know the last decade or however many years you want to throw at me since Oklahoma kind of stopped playing great defense to where they win a shootout and they go find a way to win a game like enough of that if you're if you're more talented top to bottom go smack some of these teams around and that was that was the beauty of what happened on Saturday is they were the more talented team they looked like the more talented team and the score reflected that they were the far more talented team. That's what was symbolic a little bit of Oklahoma teams of the Bob Stoops era. You know, the 2000 to 2010, whether it was the you know 2000 championship team, you know, that 2003 team, 2004 team, or you go to the 2007 team um, with Sam Bradford, like they were just outscoring. Like, they were lighting teams up, running the score up, not purposefully necessarily, but they were just lightened like record breaking offensive performances. That was the impressive thing right there about what Oklahoma did on Saturday is like, they did not let the foot off the gas. They were still throwing with Jackson Arnold in the game in the fourth quarter. Like, okay, I love, I love it. Like it's playing football with your chest out. You better stop us. We're not going to slow down. We're going to keep an aggressive mentality throughout this game. Now, obviously, they slowed the tempo down, slowed the pace down a little bit so that they could allow some of the clock to bleed off. But they were still you know, trying to get some things accomplished in that game that, and, and still try to score. Like They were not slowing down on that aspect. So, I mean, it could have very well been 80 to nothing by the end of it, but it wasn't. Um, so could have been worse I, than that, probably. I mean, it really could have. It really could have. You know, if they're able to get into the end zone there at the end of the, the first half, it, that's 49 instead of 45. I mean, if they really wanted to, they probably could have put 100 points up on Arkansas State if they really wanted to. But at some point, you just kind of you you lean back a little bit and you play the game a little bit slower so you don't end up completely embarrassing yourself. Chad, our man Gunny of Stutzman Army, like. Absolutely, man. Reggie is a headhunter. And this is the thing I've been talking about all offseason since we saw him in the Texas Tech game last year and he transferred to Oklahoma. It's you need a dude like this that's going to bring a physical element. At, you got to have him somewhere along your defense or in your defense, whether it's in the secondary or at the linebacker level. You got to have a guy that's willing to fly around and 
intimidate with his physicality and set the tone with that physicality. And it's something that is infectious. It, it, it spreads when one guy is just going out there and really laying the lumber. It, it just bleeds throughout the entire defense. Gentry Williams, we saw that as well. And I, and I got to think that not only is it a talent and a characteristic thing that's better for everybody going into this season, but I think Reggie Pearson's presence adds to that as well. You know, somebody who was much maligned, John, by Oklahoma fans, touchdown Duke, by the way, it's upset city. Oh man. Uh, somebody who was much maligned for Oklahoma, I think kind of tried to take on some of those characteristics that we're liking about Reggie Pearson. And his name was Buki at Oklahoma. Yeah. Right. And you couldn't, with all due respect to an undersized guy who came in as this, you know, five-star kid that, you know, one of the first, uh, first days or weeks or months, you know, that, Oh, you caravan stop or uh, whatever it is at the beginning of the year that uh, the Oklahoma, the coaches luncheon at the coaches luncheon, it was, Hey, he's looking like Roy Williams. He's doing Roy Williams things out there. And so it's like from that point forward, it was always set up for things to fail for Buki. And yet at times he was sort of, the enforcer of sorts, right? The guy that was willing to go get us a, a, a personal foul penalty, but it didn't come from John, a place that felt authentic, right? right. Like, like Buki's not this guy that's going to go again, be like Reggie Pearson and, and go hit somebody and knock their, their head off. Right. You need almost that goon type on a, on a football team and Oklahoma's kind of been lacking that guy to, to steal a hockey term. I don't mind Reggie Pearson, bringing a little bit of that to this Oklahoma team. Yeah. Every, every good defense has that guy, whether it's the Baltimore Ravens and it's Ray Lewis, you know, you got to have a guy that sets the tone physically so that everybody else is like, yeah, I, I better bring it myself. I don't want to be the only one not being physical out here. And I think you're absolutely right on Buki. Like, you know, he, he gave years to Oklahoma, but yeah, it just wasn't him. You know what I mean? It wasn't his game to go out there and be the enforcer. And a lot of times, like the penalties that he was drawing were kind of more foolish penalties than anything. And I, I, I will stand by the idea that I believe the Reggie Pearson personal foul call was soft and should not have been called. Reggie Pearson was standing his ground and the quarterback ran into him. Did he throw a shoulder? Absolutely. But he's also entitled to his space. Is uh, right. let me ask you this: Is football a contact game or not? I think it is. Now, I I only played one season of football, so I might misremember some of this. But no, it's it's a contact sport, and honestly, I don't mind him taking the penalty there. I don't even care because it does send a message that we're here to hit you. It's the old, uh, you know, Coach Yost in Remember the Titans. Like you will blitz all night. I don't care if they, if they gain a single yard, I'm taking everybody out. But that level of intensity that you have to have out there on a football field, if you want to be an elite defense, you have to have it. And sometimes it, it means a play, a tone setting play kind of goes against you because it's a penalty, but it, again, it sets the tone. I know we tossed this up on the screen earlier, but from Kenny Desmond Howard didn't think, Oh, you would cover. And let's see. Somebody else tossed it out there that neither did uh, neither did Pate, and uh, you know Josh Pate is kind of kind of turned into I don't want to say yeah here we go it was uh, right after it imagine that Pate didn't either from Rob and my question to you is simply this I you know hey those guys didn't think Oklahoma was gonna you, you did and I think I would have picked OU to cover I didn't have an official prediction out there but I would have picked OU to cover. But, uh, you know, hey, it's five touchdowns, whatever. I'm not going to hold these guys' feet to the fire because they didn't think OU was going to cover five touchdowns in a week one game. But with those thoughts in mind, are we already there where the national media now this next week is this next week is like back in with Oklahoma? Or when does that point arrive? Because you got SMU, you got Tulsa, Cincinnati now all of a sudden, as we discussed earlier, kind of like okay well maybe the cincinnati team is better than we thought iowa state okay i don't know about that one necessarily but when does the national media get around to the idea that okay yeah this oklahoma team is is better than we thought in a legitimate legitimate big 12 player 
Man, I think so much depends on how they win. But like if they go through the next four weeks and just blow out every opponent, you know, go up to Nypert Stadium, beat Cincinnati by double digits or by 20 points or something like that, I think then we'll probably feel going into the Texas game that, yeah, they're legit. Or if, you know, they go and they beat Texas. I think for a lot of people, that'll be the kind of the standard for this season. If you go and you beat Texas, it'll really start to allow people to believe. I think a lot of people are going to still kind of hedge a little bit, just have some cautious optimism as they go forward, just to see how this team continues to respond week in and week out, because it's still just year two. You're you overhauled your roster. So many new players. The coaches have highlighted that ad nauseum all off season in the press conference on Saturday, how many new players there were, how many players got their first snaps, how many players were new starters, so I think that there are going to be a lot of people, national, local media, that are going to still kind of take a wait-and-see mentality. But say you go up to Nypert Stadium and you beat Cincy by 20 or more, I think a lot of people will feel comfortable then saying, okay, OU's, OU's for real. Last year was just an aberration like everybody thinks it is, and they're going to be a legit contender in the Big 12. Basically, if you roll your way to the Cotton Bowl, yeah, people will be feeling that way. And – how, how important is it for Oklahoma's perception, anything that happens this week, Texas, Alabama? I mean, I'm, I'm a staunch, longtime supporter, by the way. Let me preface this you know, response from you by saying, I don't care what goes on with Texas. I prefer Texas lose every week. But do you get any, any way into the thinking of, okay, hey, national perception wouldn't be the worst thing if uh, Texas performs somewhat respectfully? No, because I think if OU takes care of business, kind of like you mentioned earlier, if they go 12 and 0 and they win the Big 12 title, it's not going to matter if Texas was 5 and 7 or 11 and 1 because you'll run the table and you'll be undefeated and you'll be staring at college football playoff berth in the face. Like if you take care of business, your your strength of schedule matters less because as we're seeing right now, like in the ACC, it's probably going to be Florida State, but will they make it through unscathed? The Pac-12 I mean, there's four or five teams that could win the Pac-12 this year. So I don't think anybody's going to get out of that conference with fewer than two losses and win the Pac-12 title. Michigan, probably in the Big Ten. And then, you know, one or two teams at the SEC. But if you go undefeated, you're very much going to slot yourself in for one of those top four spots. You know, if you even if you have one hiccup, but you beat Texas, you're still going to have one of those and maybe beat Kansas State in the Big 12 title game. You're going to have one of those four spots because of, while the perceived strength of schedule is weak, you're going to have taken care of business 11 times out of 12 along the way. The defensive line was sort of, I would say the recipient of punches from the Oklahoma fan base or criticism from the Oklahoma fan base. But I saw this comment early uh, from PSS loved what I saw Saturday. The only totally nitpicky gripe is if not for Arkansas State, dropping a couple of good passes in zone coverage, they'd have put some points on the board. So, little uh, first take-ish debate point for you, okay? Which were you more concerned about? What you saw in coverage or the lack of pass rush at times from Oklahoma? In game, I was more concerned about the lack of pass rush simply because, okay, that's been the big, that was the big issue all through Big 12 play last year. They, they didn't have enough pass rush and they were letting average quarterbacks look really good. The drop passes by an opponent. I mean, some of that's out of your control. You can't really depend on a guy dropping a pass. So, but at times you're going to get beaten coverage. That's just kind of the way it works sometimes, especially in zone coverage. You're going to allow some receptions from time to time. That's why you rally and tackle. That's the whole importance of team defense and team tackling is sometimes you're just going to give up plays but the lack of pass rush is a little bit more concerning, but I kind of get their explanation is okay. Okay. They max protected a lot. They got the ball out quick. And I don't think Oklahoma was trying to use a whole lot of exotic blitz packages on Saturday to confuse Arkansas state. It was just line up in your gap and go sort of a thing. So, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to keep the jury back in deliberations for now, wait and see how things progress with the pass rush because last year the pass rush looked great through non-conference and then it fell off the cliff in big 12 play. 
So if they're able to start showing some things against some better teams and develop a pass rush and are getting home to the quarterback and putting the quarterback on the, on the ground, then I'll feel better about it moving forward. Less, uh, less writes us and says you rarely get sacks with max protect. And he got the ball out very fast, which was really the post-game talking point from head coach Brent Venables, which was, he was not displeased with the yeah. pass rush at least yet. Right. You know, he, it was basically need more information on the pass rush from the, the head football coach, because again, uh, based on what he saw, Arkansas state in, you know, keep in mind head coach right after the game, they want to go review that film. They just mentally, what they had just seen sometimes changes when they go through the entirety of the film. But his initial response was, yeah, a ton of max protect. And so he wasn't going to put a ton on the defensive line's failure in the pass rush department. And more so, yeah, the quarterback's getting it out quick. They got max, max protect. So I would probably myself lean coverage in this. And again, I don't think it was bad on either end of the equation, okay? Oklahoma pitched a shutout, forced two field goal tries in the football game. So this would, yes be of the nitpicking variety, but it'll be uh, interesting to see how that progresses versus SMU versus Tulsa. Obviously, I think everybody would say, yeah, get to the quarterback, right? Let's see some TFLs and sacks before you start making that trip to uh, Nippert Stadium in Cincinnati. Yeah, and ultimately, it comes back to you pitched a shutout. If Even after you gave up big plays, you held the line and forced field goals. You won the turnover battle. You got a few tackles for losses. I mean, Arkansas State really didn't threaten you. And that's kind of what you want out of a defense. Whether you get eight sacks and pitch a shutout or no sacks and pitch a shutout, you still pitched a shutout. You still held, you know, their their running game to, you know, what, 2.1 yards per carry and only 48 yards on the day. Uh, you know, JT Shrout, who is a bad quarterback. He's he's a below average quarterback. In college football, he he doesn't average better than 50% completion in his career. He averaged less than 50% completion on Saturday. So you did all the things that you need to do as a defense. Again, it's a great start. So while I'm watching the game and thinking to myself, man, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of like pass rush. You're not getting to the quarterback. It's It's all within the context of everything else that happened in that game where you're like, Okay, you didn't get to the quarterback, but you still weren't giving up big plays. You still weren't, you know, getting gashed on the ground. You still weren't, um, you know, giving up touchdowns. So what do I have to complain about? 16 pressures per pro football focus for Oklahoma. And I'm trying to see here if I can get a drop back count for you on JT Shroud. Uh, so I, I, he's, Give me two 20. seconds, 27. Okay, so there you go. So 16 out of 27, pretty nice little percentage, I would say. Yeah, I mean, that's almost a you know 67% pressure rate on dropbacks. So I, I think that's pretty salty. I mean, the you know, you got to get pressure before you can get sacks. And given the circumstances, the context of what happened, I don't feel like you can be disappointed with what happened. Obviously, we all want to see the splash plays. We want to see the sacks. We want to see the, you know, the strip sacks, the fumbles forced. So I'm not disappointed. I'm not even discouraged. And even in the coverage, I'm not discouraged because again, in zone coverage, you're going to give up completions from time to time. It's just the way zone coverage works. You're not always going to get your hand on the ball. You're not always going to take away the, the quarterback's options. You're just going to give up plays, but that's why you have to rally and tackle. And coaches preach that like, okay, you give up the completion, you rally and tackle. Everybody gets to the ball. We bring them down. Which new face excited you the most there's a lot of a lot of names to pick from here what are the what are the numbers we're working with on this deal let me see if i could pull this set of notes up 39 first year sooners saw the field okay so you got you got 39 you can pick from anyone in particular really really i got a name in mind but anybody really in particular is it is it cheating if i just say jackson arnold <laughs> no it's not cheating i mean I think we all expected him to be good when he got a chance to play, but I don't think anybody expected 11 of 11 for, you know, what a buck teen and, you know, a, a rushing touchdown and 38 rushing yards. He looked every bit the part that we'd expected. 
Now, again, against Arkansas State, but 11 of 11, you know, he looked he looked in command. He looked in control of the offense. He looked ready to go. Like, like this was – like he was built for this. And, I mean, you don't become a five-star without having all the tools and all the talent and the production from your high school. But he was just so impressive, man. The poise that he played with, the comfort level in the offense that he played with, I mean, the ease in which he ran the football, it was not herky-jerky. It was just, I got the ball, the direct snap. It's a designed run. I'm following my blocker. I mean, it looked similar to kind of a Jalen Hurts, Blake Bell type, where he's just patiently waiting for the blocker to get through the hole, and he's just going to follow him through right into the end zone. And it, was just, it was just easy. It was easy for him. And that's the thing that, that surprised me the most is how easy both Dylan Gabriel and he made it look on Saturday. Yeah, Jackson freaking Arnold is uh, obviously a, a wonderful submission. It's hard to argue uh, with that one for sure. We we talked a lot about it uh, yesterday. Andrew Anthony, my hot take coming out of this football game, he's going to wind up as Oklahoma's leading receiver. I think uh, just early on, the fact that that initial deep shot went to him and just some of the, the things that happened over the course of the game, I feel like he and Dylan Gabriel have an obvious rapport that uh, I was picking up what they were putting down early in this contest. But uh, Sooner Social legend and I, we're, we're on the same wavelength here. Monty Cisco has the name in mind that I was thinking of. Gentry Williams, he writes, is the next great cornerback at Oklahoma. He got that OU DNA, and uh, I'm with you. That big uh, hit coming downhill, man. Oklahoma's been looking for stability. Stability, please. Can somebody – can somebody on a routine, regular basis go cover somebody opposite Woody Washington and Oklahoma might have found it in Gentry Williams. So Gentry Williams was targeted just one time in the game, according to pro football focus. And it was that catch for minus six yards that he blew up on the screen um, in that. I think it was the second quarter, maybe first quarter. I can't remember exactly, but yeah, he looks every bit the part. He plays physical. He plays with aggression. He looks like a guy that, looks forward to being out on an Island and I cannot wait to see him this week against SMU and how he responds to better quarterback play, better receiver play. And really we get a chance to see uh, what Gentry Williams can do. I think when you don't get targeted much, it's because teams respect you or because you completely lock down who's in your coverage area. So that's, that's a very encouraging sign from Gentry Williams. I think that's a dude that's going to have a incredible career and, kind of remind us of the, you know, the Derek straight, you know, year. I, I don't know if he'll go out there and win a Nagurski, but I mean, he's going to have a fantastic year and f- fantastic career at Oklahoma. It really changes the game when you have good coverage because we haven't had good coverage in a long time. We've had okay, but I don't think the Oklahoma Sooners have had an elite cornerback in a long, 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 long time. CJ, I mean, CJ Colton did nice things last season. But, you know, we're talking, yeah, I mean, that lockdown NFL corner, somebody that, you know, you maybe this is a silly name to even use as an example, but just I think of, you know, the Darrell Revises of the world in the National yeah. Football League or, you know, whichever, you know, lockdown corner you want to name over the last umpteen years out of the National Football League, somebody that we feel like leaving OU could be that guy for mm-hmm. somebody at the next. I mean, who would be? The last guy like that, Colvin. Yeah, maybe. I mean, Colvin was great. He he yeah. he was really really good at Oklahoma, and that's probably where it goes back to Aaron Colvin, and then before that, maybe Derek Strait. Like those are the two that you've had over the last twenty five years that were elite cornerbacks. Well, and this is not breaking news. I don't think to you or anybody out there. That's not recently with Aaron Colvin, and so that's not good enough for Oklahoma. But hey. Maybe maybe these questions have been answered. Any other uh, first-timers out there that really made an impact in your mind? I mean, Jacquez Petaway, we heard a lot yeah. about him throughout camp. He catches nine uh, passes in this game. I uh, Look, I said, don't forget about Blake Smith now. With the tight end situation, he might catch a football or two. And sure enough, first game, I'm, I'm going to Jim Traber this situation here and pat myself on the back since uh, nobody else will, right? Blake yeah. Smith was a factor 
in the passing game for Oklahoma. Now, does that continue? We'll see. But that was kind of an interesting development. He wouldn't be toward the top of my list in terms of like first time players and wow, they wowed me. But that was kind of a sneaky development, I thought. Well, and that's a good one to throw in in this game that you put on you put on tape and you say, hey, we're going to run some uh, some 12 personnel, some 23 and we're going to throw it to Blake Smith every once in a while. So you better be aware of him and you better make sure you cover him. That I think that's, that's the sneaky little chess move that offensive coordinators will play in games like this, where it's like, okay, we may not throw Blake Smith, you know, 50 balls, but you better be aware of the two or three times a game that we might throw him the football. Cause if you're not, he's going to break one. Cade McIntyre, man, they, they've talked so much about the athleticism that he brings to the table may not have the size just yet, to be the you know inline tight end that you want him to be, but dude, he flashed the wheels. You know, got a got a chance to you know take a short pass and picked up a big you know chunk gain after that. So that was really impressive out of Cade. Um, man, so there was there were a ton of first timers. Caden Green, I thought he played really really well in his first collegiate game. You know, the the offensive line as a whole, but you think about individuals that got an opportunity. I mean, Caden and Heath Ozida and Josh Bates. You know, all those guys that were part of the 2023 signing class, they got out there and they, they were able to contribute to helping Oklahoma continue to run the ball effectively. Caleb Hicks, his ability to bounce it outside and show off the speed to get into the end zone. That was really impressive. Just as an update on the injury front, because a couple people, you know, in Sooner Nation have been, I guess, wondering and asking, are Mason Thomas, Gavin Sachuk, neither one played? And according to the head coach, neither is of serious concern. Our Mason Thomas will be back. Gavin Sachuk will be back. We think that uh, Drake Stoops and Desan McCola, who were both injured playing in this opener, we think that uh, they'll be back in, uh, well, due time as well. So on the injury front, it sounds like Oklahoma, for those that didn't play in this contest, John, that we were expecting to, sounds like those guys in short order will be back, and it sounds like the guys – that uh, maybe got a well and did get a little dinged up in this thing. We'll be back shortly too. So that's good. Yeah, absolutely. And and I can't wait to see, you know, if we get to see Gavin Sawchuck in this game, you know, what's he going to look like in his next run at the collegiate level? Cause the last time he was on the field, he looked really good and I can't wait to see him back on there. Last thing we're going to touch on, on this episode of locked on Sooners live. Thanks again so much for all y'all in the chat, tuning in, being a part of the show. We love it. Love your comments. Love your discussion that takes place over there. Uh, on the recruiting front, a lot of crystal balls and recruiting projections came in over the last couple of days, but in particular on Monday, um, the big one, I mean, we can start with the big names. Nigel Smith got the crystal ball from Mike Roach, a 247 sports insider with big Texas ties projecting Oklahoma to get this one. I think that was kind of the last team that you kind of worried about a little bit, even though it seemed like everything was trending Oklahoma's way for several months, getting that one from Texas for Nigel Smith. That's huge. Oh, gigantic. And you think about now what this defensive line class can wind up being for Oklahoma. We'll see if there's not a surprise right in the, uh, Christmas stocking before it's all said and done. If you can actually orchestrate a flip, probably, you know, I'm not going to hold my breath on any of that, John. I'm just going to focus on what's still ahead for Oklahoma in this class. And uh, Nigel Smith joining uh, David Stone and Jaden Jackson and Gilmore uh, up front. And there's uh, another name I think I'm missing on the defensive line for Oklahoma in this class right now. That's, that's a big time defensive line class for Oklahoma if they wind up bringing that to Norman, Oklahoma. OU's not been landing that type of defensive line class. So I know that we had dreams of grandeur as Oklahoma fans and media that, you know, obviously Williams Winery was going to be in this class, that perhaps Dominique McKinley was going to be in this class. And who knows, right? I mean, I'm not going to totally rule out a surprise, but I'm also not banking on it for Oklahoma. And yet if it just is add Nigel Smith into the equation for OU – with, okay, you had P.J. Adebare, and we'll see, you know, R. Mason Thomas and some of the other guys on campus, what their development looks like this season, John. Oh, using such a better recruiting situation than they've been over the last however many years. So I know that we want it all. We want the world, and that's how you win national championships, we think, right? But Oklahoma is still on this path that is – it's much better than where they've been. Yeah, exactly, and I think that – also trends well when you're looking at a guy like Danny Okoye, 
Another projection came in, Sam Spiegelman of On3, the national recruiting analyst, and Josh McQuistion of Sooner Scoop at On3 issued projections favoring the Oklahoma Sooners for Okoye. No less, Josh did not leave out Wyatt Gilmore. He mentioned him as he was listing the defensive lineman already committed to the class. So Okoye, this dude is an absolute athletic freak on the football field in the weight room. I mean, deadlifting over 750 pounds, doing backflips, got great size, great length. I mean, he is going to be something special. Um, you can't put words on what he's able to do athletically because he's, he's just so special and he's got the size to, to match what a, what could be a potentially elite player because of all the tools that he has in his tool belt. Well, and again, you just love the, the in-state factor at play too. I mean, when you're talking about a Tulsa kid and Noah homeschool, I get all that, but uh, just the fact that Oklahoma in this recruitment is going to swing another in-state kid. It sounds like, and has put an emphasis on the the in-state uh, talent. It's it's huge. Stubby says right here, uh, love that they are bringing in the best Oklahoma talent or making them a priority again. It was tough watching that talent get out of state. And again, I mean, yeah, you're singing to the choir. We're preaching to the choir, whatever the phrase may be, right? But uh, it's nice to see Oklahoma do that and have a staff, John, that it's not lip service with Brent Venables and we could list every coach on staff, but it's not lip service with this Brent Venables regime. They value in-state talent and they're bringing in-state talent to Oklahoma. Because there's the pride that comes with playing for Oklahoma when you've grown up watching this team. The last one we're going to touch on, and that's Daniel Akinkunmi, the NFL Academy product out of England, who was in Norman for an official visit, taking in his first college football game live, which I was talking to my wife about this, and I, I just thought, I can't imagine what it'd be like for a kid from England coming to Norman, Oklahoma, to go to his first college football game ever. I, I, my, my first question to him would be, okay, have you been to an English premier league game match? And if so, how do they compare? What are the differences? What did you like about, you know, what do you like about both? Like it, it would just be fascinating because college football, the, the best comparison to a sport outside of the U S is English premier league football. It's the same kind of, you know, passion, local passion, you know, community, um, that kind of thing. So I'd, I'd be really curious what his thoughts were on that. Maybe we'll try and get him on the show from England and, and he can answer that question for us. So yeah, that's another one that Oklahoma received a projection for Parker Thune put in a uh, rivals future cast favoring the Oklahoma Sooners. So it looks like Oklahoma is going to add potentially another offensive tackle or offensive lineman to their 2024 recruiting class. Chad uh, Gunny of Stutzman army rises is watching Akin Kumi's trip across the pond on Twitter was pretty cool. Yeah. He, uh, I love too that, and I don't think this is a, a reality here, but I'm sort of saying this tongue in cheek, but I love that Chick-fil-A could be a final selling point in his <laughs> recruitment. Him, him talking about Chick-fil-A was just hilarious. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, whatever it takes, right? Whatever it takes. If it takes, you know, a spicy chicken sandwich with extra pickles and large fry, then by all means have one on us, my friend. Um, no, that's, it's, it's going to be fun. And I, I think he's going to become one of those guys that everybody's going to love to talk to just the uniqueness of getting a kid from England to come play, you know, football at the university of Oklahoma. I think that's just, that's just kind of fun. If you, if you know my story, you know, my history, I've spent a lot of time outside the U S traveling around the world, things like that. And I just, I love to meet people from outside the U S because I love to hear their experiences when they come to the U S what life was like for them, where they're coming from and all that. So it's going to be, it's going to be super fun. I, I can't wait, but that's all the recruiting stuff. I mean, the Terry Bussey thing continues to be a thing, even though it looked like it was going to be Texas A&M and Texas A&M only. I mean, don't count Oklahoma out of that one. Don't count them out of getting a flip out of Williamson area or Dominic McKinley, even though it's not likely to get a flip. You just don't count them out until the signature is on the page. Curtains, Clemson. And uh, please don't mention Texas A&M's name in a recruitment. I mean, you're giving me PTSD. <laughs> Sorry, Josh. Sorry. Sorry. Well, that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners Live. Again, thanks so much for everybody that took part in the chat and is subscribed to the show wherever they get your podcast. Thank you so much for helping to support us here on Locked On Sooners. If you like what we do, please do us a favor and go give us a five-star rating over on Apple. Give us a review. Helps other people find out about the show over on Apple or Google, wherever you get your podcast. Again, 
Uh, follow Josh on Twitter at Josh on ref. You can follow me on Twitter at John nine Williams. The show is at locked on Sooners. We're back all week long with great content, getting you ready for the SMU Mustangs. We'll talk recruiting stuff as it comes down the pipe and man, football's back. We're in football season. Nothing better than that. So have a great night. Talk to you next time. Boomer sooner. <laughs>